I think I was nervous because I was like, you don't usually get these questions thrown at you in an interview. It was it was quite different. If anything, it was slightly like a challenge because you had to think of things that you don't usually have to. You kind of go into emotions of how you felt at the time of maybe you speaking about an incident that happened when you were younger or the connections with your relationships with the past relationships you've had, you know. Yeah, it's, it's just slightly nervous, not completely. I want to just ask you one more question because I just think it's interesting. Like, why was that question so hard for you to answer? Oh, <laughs> to be honest, I don't know why that answer was so hard for me. Like, I just drew a freaking blank. Yeah, like, why couldn't I come up with the answer? Is it because I, I really don't know what negative feelings that women go through? That could be it. That's powerful and probably a good lesson for even me to learn from, honestly. You know, for me, it's always been about, I think the reason I work so hard is because I, I want to leave a legacy and I want to feel important. And it's more of a selfish desire above anything else. But I, but I think the the point that you drove about the other man and how he just wanted to retire and, and live, I, I think that's a beautiful thing too, if I'm being honest. I think I think the, the key message for everybody is if everyone asks the hard questions, you'll arrive at the truth that's unique to you. You're listening to the Miss Amanda Chen Show, and this is the season two recap of the 100 Mass Men series, where I anonymously interview men from all around the world to learn about who they are and why they are the way they are. Season two has been a very introspective series with deep thought-provoking questions. I collected really diverse perspectives and some incredibly wild stories over the past three months, and here are 25 things that men have learned about themselves. I honestly loved putting this edit together, even though it took nearly a week to re-listen, cut, paste, snip, all of this into a pretty package, but only during this moment of reflection can I really see the growth. There's something magical about content and the fact that you can actually track change over time. I've now interviewed over 50 guys so far, and I've barely scratched the surface on understanding men better. Maybe I'll never get very far, but this has been an amazing journey, and the idea of what it means to be a man, again, is still very hard to define. I grew up in a time when, like, being a man meant, like, you know, not, not, not crying or not showing your, or expressing your, your, your feelings or your emotions and stuff, and so... You know, I'm a, I'm a very sensitive dude, but I always viewed sensitivity as like a weakness. And so I'd often like bury that, that deep inside me. It's like, I, I consider myself a traditional alpha male, even if I, I don't embody a lot of those qualities myself. So for example, I don't have like a, a big, big muscles. I don't play football. You know, I don't, uh, I don't even particularly like sports. I don't, I, I find it's a waste of time. You know, there's a lot of things that, that I don't associate with in the traditional roles, but I take the ones that I do like, oh yeah, confidence, understands what they want, who they, like, you know, those th kind of aspects. If a guy like me right now at that time showed up on my doorstep and wanted to potentially date my daughters or even something more serious, I, there's no way I would let them across the threshold. And I was like, oh my gosh, if I have set the bar for what a man is, what a father is, what a husband is, what a friend is. And this is the, the bar that I've set for my children and their expectations. Whoa, that's not okay. And, uh, you know, that, that realization was really hard. Inside of all men, there's this desire to, like, prove yourself. But when you're a parent, your desire is to succeed at parenting. 
you are not a part of the equation anymore. So being an alpha male, being the strongest, being the toughest, having the coolest car, those things are nothing if you take parenting seriously. The way I describe my role is as a carer, I think there is nothing more masculine than being a a carer. It's got responsibility with a capital R stamped upon it. There is nothing more masculine than caring for those that you love. So I had to go to therapy for um, anxiety and I had to go to therapy for like gender identity related issues. One of the reasons why I joined a fraternity was because I didn't have enough like guy friends. A lot of girlfriends. I uh, never really had enough guy friends outside of like, playing video games. And I don't know if this was because like I didn't actively seek them out or if like, uh, but this was something that bothered me. And then and it's something that still kind of slightly bothers me, but then I, I'm, I'm more accepting of it. I'm like, okay, whatever, we'll, we'll, we'll let it be. And so, you know, so yeah, like you said, like being accepted and being understood was part of that. And I, I had like really long hair. I generally am into rather feminine things. I like to wear jewelry. I like to paint my nails and I, I like being pretty. I know how to do makeup, things like that, right? So, and, and yeah, I guess like being understood, definitely a fear. I don't, I don't really know if people understand me. Going through, going through college, going through kind of um, maturation from, you know, kid into something like an adult. You, I really kind of had the idea that I need to be mad. I need to be strong and I need to have these masculine characteristics and that things like, you know, having emotions, having connecting with my feeling, connecting with the present, the lover energy to take a uh, Jungian take on it, that that would be not the masculine. Mm -hmm. And and that wouldn't be me. That wouldn't be creating the the me that I, that I envisioned, but upon greater reflection, it really is, there is value, this huge value in having yourself understand the other side at least and put yourself in that position more because that is the great contrast right the, the yin and the yang the male and the female that if you're all of one then it's really unbalanced so to sum all of that up the debate continues but what i realized from these interviews was the idea that we are actually wearing a lot of invisible masks which breathes new life into the masked men series And it made me question, first of all, if we know that we're wearing masks and if we were to remove them, would we even be any different? That's a hard question. I think I wear a mask quite a lot. I'm not really one, if I have to, in a situation, I'll express how I feel directly to a person. But if it's something that's happened to me personally, I probably won't share it. Because we're all presenting. I mean, we're not all, and now I'm speaking generalities, but a lot of people are presenting as tough because we don't want the world to know how hurt we might feel internally. And even the toughest among us have stuff inside. And when we can view the other person, a friend of mine has this term, I don't know if he made it up or not, but the, the tender edge of your vulnerability. If people, if you treat people like they're at the tender edge of their vulnerability, that whatever they're sharing is, is their current capacity of sharing right? Then all of a sudden, I'm able to show up with a lot more compassion when I see people that way. I think a lot of their methods are very much, let me offend them as much as I can. And that way I can see if they're even worth my time as a thing, right? Because if I offend them, then I don't have to deal with them. And I don't think they've ever actually maybe had someone actually sit around and actually, quote unquote, take their abuse or whatever, but then actually answer back with, you know, Genuine humanity is a thing, right? And they're probably met back with just more rocks thrown at them as a thing. And they're probably used to that. And that's why they probably answer back with rocks first, is my guess. Being able to honor all parts of us 
and accept all parts of us. Because when we do so, we remove that veil, we, we remove that mask, we remove that judgment and that shame that actually prohibits or inhibits other people from seeing us. Which kind of comes back to the last conversation we had about men being afraid to be seen. What does it look like when you're actually seen for who and all that you are? Who are you afraid of not being seen as? And what would happen if you were fully received when someone did see you? I think that idea of being seen was a really cool concept that I wasn't really aware of until I started speaking to some of these men. And another big theme that I saw come up is the concept of trust and how that is loosely defined in many different ways. Trust comes from the lack of pressure. When there is no pressure to be perfect because you're just hanging out with someone, you see who they are. And then if you say, hey, I see who you are. I value this, 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 and this about you. You tell them affirmations of why you like instead of making them audition for it. That gives you trust. That gives them trust because you're saying, I see you. And when someone sees you, you've been heard. I think being heard is the most important thing when you trust someone because there's no agenda. They're listening. That whole thing has been impacted negatively, but I think only for a, a, a period of time. Because to be honest, it's like as unfair as it might be, I don't trust anyone. Unless you're my mother or my sister, it's, you know, it's, I'm, I'm sorry, but I have to just hold myself at a particular distance and you may not know that I'm doing that. But I, it, it's just this autopilot self-preservation thing that was born of all that. For me, it, it, the big one is like, hey, like my entire 20s were spent in a relationship and I feel like there's almost like internal pressure for me that whoever I found next has to be like just right. Or like, like, I don't really have time to figure somebody out for five years again, being more calculated. I'm definitely a little bit more reserved. The other find I find myself, it's harder for me to trust people now, a woman specifically. That's n nothing what a man says. It's like, what? No one's going to love you. Blah, blah, blah. Like, like all that shit. Like I've, I've, heard, I've seen it. I have seven sisters. I've heard it. I beat up dudes about that shit. We're there for women to take care of them emotionally and physically. But when it comes to dudes, when it comes to men, we laugh it off, you know, by other men and women. It's, it's, um, it's quicksand on both sides because nobody wants to admit that men have problems. When I've ever dealt with struggles, I, I always believed that it was something I should just deal with on my own. Yeah. You know, it's like an injured animal. When it's hurt, what does it do? It tries to, to, hide somewhere you know it, it feels vulnerable it feels like it could be taken advantage of it, it, it's scared you know and, and because of that it retracts it, it hides it hides away and uh i know for myself dealing with some of my struggles I, I did them on my own and i learned a lot from that i learned i learned that you know especially as a man like you, you like not even just as a man just a person in general like you have to really be you have to want to heal your own wounds first right and like you know no one else is responsible for your happiness you're the only one that's responsible for your happiness and so that's what i ended up doing i ended up just focusing on on me and not in a selfish way but just more so in a in a way of like fulfilling fulfilling my own happiness i just tweeted something today like uh, the biggest lie you've ever been told is find someone that makes you happy that's really deceiving because you are the only person that can make you happy or you should be you should be in control of your own happiness. Happiness. 
I think this is a, such a great topic and I'm so glad that this came across so often in so many conversations and how some of it is wrapped around yourself and some of it's wrapped around relationships. So here are some other thoughts on happiness in general, how you should approach it and how some of these stories were wrapped around different types of relationships and how that impacted what they believed was how you view happiness and whether or not it's truly attainable. If we're constantly exhausting ourselves to meet other people's lists and other people's definitions of what happiness should be, we're always running and running closer to a, to a finish line that has no end. And we just keep running. And at some point, we just stop running the race. Right. And I think that's the key is when you start writing your own list, I know it sounds a bit optimistic, but I think that would solve a lot of, at least make a significant dent in the way that we think about mental health. Like said, a lot of people are career driven and they, they want to be rich. Do you, that's great. Me, I want to be comfortable. Now to get to that comfortable stage, I have to hustle. If I don't get to that comfortable stage, I'm going to stay in that hustle stage and I'll never be able to do anything in regards to my happiness. It sucks, but you got to do that to get to where you want to be. In my mid-30s, I was in work. My peer group were having, uh, well, the partners were having babies, willy-nilly, and I wasn't. I felt off track then. And my colleague, we were good friends, his wife became pregnant. I was so jealous of him, so, so jealous that I couldn't walk past his office. I used to go down the other end of the building, around the building, a different way. I didn't want to face it. And uh, we did talk about it, actually, which is strange for British fellas. He said, there's something wrong between us. Uh, and I said, you know, uh, you've got the life I should have. I'm a little bit afraid to consider things like, okay, what, what do I really want to do? Like, why do I want to do this? Is it because, uh, yes, it helps me feel better about myself in some way, which is like, I'm just fine. I'm, I'm okay with taking that. Or is it like, ah, uh, yes, I want to do this because like, I want to have like control and I want to have power and blah, blah, blah. I don't really know. Like, I question my own motivation sometimes. Like what's better spending seven years with somebody and at the end feeling like you know like things could have been different but at the same time we weren't really compatible like no hard feelings or would it have been better to realize have realized that you know four or five months in and then not spend seven years like not there's a right or wrong answer and like like I learned a lot in my relationships and I took a lot away from them and it's still like a life experience and I'll never regret them like that whatsoever but I can't help but question going like hey if like we thought about this like after a year, like we probably could have told that in the long run we would diverge and like it, wouldn't, it wasn't gonna work out and we wouldn't have spent this much time. You can have everything in the world. You can have money in the bank. You can have you know nice place, whatever it is. But what makes you happy right, at the end of the day? I don't know. It's, uh, <laughs> you're making me think about a lot of things. I think it's so crazy how little we talk about what it means to truly be happy what is involved in that search and how to prioritize happiness rather than thinking so much about responsibilities and having to fulfill certain roles in life. It's, uh, it's been a very interesting change of pace as well as just generally talking about mental health. And of course, we're going to talk about relationships and how women play a role. I was very happy to step into a relationship. I was very happy that somebody chose me at the same time as well and so in order to sit in order to stay in that relationship i think i i hid a lot of myself unknowingly at the time but i hid a lot of myself and i 
internally rejected a lot of myself because I haven't really healed from a lot of wounding that happened growing up. She drove herself to the ground and continued. You know, we may not be in, in the same relationship right now. So she kind of like stepped away so that she can kind of recalibrate and focus on also being my my wife and like supporting me. And I didn't see it that way at first. And so now I see that, you know, everything she does, all her actions is because she's just trying to be, you know, a great wife, a supportive wife to me. And yeah, she just wants us to kind of thrive together. Yeah, breaking through that, there's a lot of tears when I kind of admitted all of this and kind of presented this to her like oh I resented you this time because this is this but now I see it in a different way and we actually freaking cried together for like 10 minutes it was uh it was pretty intense so when I was with my girlfriend at the time and we were going through our problems she had um she had mentioned the the, the idea of you know going to see a therapist right but she had, she said it in a way where it was like it, it, it came off as if it's like, you know, when you call a person crazy, the way she presented it, she was like, I'm willing to buy you therapy sessions for your birthday kind of thing. And it was just like, that didn't sit right with me. Right. And I know a lot of people have apprehensions about talking to a therapist, right. Especially in the, in the black community, that's almost like a, it, it's like a no, no, right. They don't believe in, in seeing a therapist or whatever. It's very taboo. I can specifically recount a time in my childhood when the abuse was happening in my home the physical abuse between my mother and my father but also with me and also the bullying at school to where I was having anxiety attacks and I would reach a certain point in the hallway in middle school and I would start dry heaving and I didn't know what was wrong with me and all I could say was my stomach hurt I feel like I want to throw up. I feel nauseous. I, I actively avoided going to therapy or counseling, even though I recognized that it could help because I was uh, kind of stuck up in that, like, well, I got here myself, like I can fix it myself kind of mentality. And I was always like that before I even, you know, struggled with any of these things, you know. Mm-hmm. I just thought I can do it myself. Um, and I, I just don't always rely on people around me if I think it's something I should be able to do myself. So there was absolutely some like, hey, good for you, but here's our realistic expectations of this. And that's that's tough love. But that's I think I think that's the kind of I think I needed to hear that because it kind of lit more of a fire under my ass. But I lost a lot of friends. But I also at the same time realized that so many of my friendships were based off drinking. And I can I can get along with anybody if I'm drunk. I often think about regrets, right? I think about regrets and 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 just because it's an interesting concept, right? Regret. Regrets like us ruining and and pondering and, and really letting those things that we've done ruminate forever. I can never undo it, but I'm going to just be sad and guilty and depressed. And I'm just going to always think about that in a negative way. I regret that, you know, not doing that thing or doing that thing. And uh, I, I try to look at it a little bit differently from the standpoint, like, what won't I regret? What are the things that I could do and do consistently that I'll never regret? I think that, in fact, there's a real danger to that people-pleasing mentality. I think there's a real erosion of trust and integrity with oneself. You end up having these kind of lukewarm relationships with people and rather than saying no to some relationships so that you can be a firm yes in others. That was a hard lesson that my business mentor back then taught me at the time. I would have loved if we could have just kept a some somewhat lukewarm relationship and repaired it, but I wasn't providing value in his life. Like that, that was the best thing he could have done for my growth.
It's the absolute best thing he could have done for my growth. I'm so happy now that he did do that and that we didn't continue a relationship because otherwise I might not have changed my behavior. I might have gone on taking advantage of things or not taking full responsibility or thinking I could get away with things or charm my way out of, you know, sent, write a nice letter and that'll resolve everything. Some problems in life can't be resolved that way. If there's no consequences, if there's no punishment, what is there to learn from a mistake? Every time I would get a wave of like panic or anxiety come over me of that whole thing, I would immediately try to distract myself or I would mm -hmm. just throw my shoes on, I'd head outside and I'd just start a conversation with someone that I didn't know. And that's not me. Like I'm a pretty quiet guy, like I'm a bit of an introvert. And then I just wouldn't be thinking about that other stuff. For a while, that was the only way that I could not think about that other stuff. I would just do that. And then, uh, okay, well, if I just, just sit there and just let it hit me and actually think about it and be aware of how it feels, then I can monitor what it's actually doing to me and, you know, in real time. And that was, was like only being aware of it and sitting in it in like the super discomfort of that situation was I able to say, okay, so this is how long it lasts. This is how severe it feels. And the next time it happened, like it wasn't as scary, you know? I learned how hastily I moved through life beforehand. And I learned how quick I was, like I'm a Christian, so the Bible says like, be slow to anger. Well, I was quick to anger. I would always get mad by anything, everything irritated me. I was like a little grumpy old man. But, you know, seeing the world through the eyes of a child, it really does. It, it changes what you want from the world. Like instead of wanting the world to just give me, 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 money, immediate gratification, uh, fame, you know, because I wanted to be an actor. <laughs> like instead I cared more about what quality of life there will be on the planet when I'm done. Like what, what is life? What is social interaction going to be? How are people going to treat one another? And like that became more important to me once I started raising a person because you don't want a small mistake snowball into a mountain of honky. So yeah, I guess I just learned uh, that I didn't care enough about life before. And that for me, it was an end game process instead of the whole journey. Um, I asked the people that were in attendance, it was like 20 or 30 guys, what do they do if they're feeling down? And all of them are like, oh, I go for a walk. I listen to a podcast. I work out. And at the end, I said, well, none of you said that you reach out to your partners. And they started laughing, like the, the, the idea of relying on, on uh, their partners for support was even a thing. For me, this whole challenge was really learning how to listen. And I thought that I was pretty good at doing that. And I definitely was not. There was such a difference between season one and season two and just noticing how much quicker I can get to some real conversation was just really exciting to notice that, okay, you know, we actually don't really want to get into that sticky stuff. And we try really hard to not talk about it as much as we can. And when the whole premise of the podcast is about that, it gets really intense really quickly and i i really enjoyed the discomfort that i brought on in these conversations i hope you guys enjoyed it too and i hope that some of these might open up new conversations for people in your lives as well and it's a wrap that's season two everyone i hope you enjoyed 
this season. These past 25 men have been incredible. We're moving on to season three and I have no idea what's in store. The world is on fire as it has been for the last little while and burning so brightly. So we'll see what happens next. Make sure to subscribe and I'll see you guys next Wednesday with more episodes of The 100 Masked Men.